0: Good morning to each and every one of you. We're a little bit low in number here this morning, uh, but we're glad to see each and every one of you here today. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. We're actually going to be looking at Sardis and Laodicea. I know Philadelphia is in between, uh, but what we want to do is uh, really focus upon the Philadelphia church Uh, in the uh, morning or in the next hour of worship that we will have together. Uh, I do want to start today by uh, saying to each and every one of you, I thank you for turning in, and uh, I pray that uh, we have a better communication. Uh, It was said to me that uh, we were getting a little bit of feedback last week, and so we're trying to make sure we have all the feedback from the microphone being taken care of. So we do have people that are in the field that are kind of monitoring that for us as well. Once again, we're just trying to make sure we get everything ready to go when it comes to our microphone. All right, let's go ahead and let's look at Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And it says, Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars. I know thy works, which thou hast a name, and thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I, if thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garment, and shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out name the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before His angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you again this morning uh, that you give us the medium of technology to where we can broadcast the messages, and I pray that you will just continue to bless us today. We want to thank you, Father, for the goodness that you show to us as a church. Help us, dear Father, then to be faithful in all that you you present to us, all the opportunities we have, and continue to bless and direct. We thank you, Lord, for your care. Lord, help us to be faithful in those things that you give us to do each and every hour of every day. And guide and bless and direct now, and we will rejoice in thy name, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. So as we begin today, uh, as you can see, we have the trail of blood that's going to help us uh, along the way. We have uh, focused, or we have taken the trail of blood uh, chart that was established by Carol many years ago. And while a lot of people want to argue over this point, it's kind of mute for them to argue with us. I will say this, is that I I saw something that was posted on Facebook, and yes, I do have a Facebook account. Uh, If you are ever interested, you can uh, go ahead, if you are a Facebook user, and look me up, and I will also add you, as long as um, I can confirm that it is you and not a hoax. But one of the things that was uh, pointed out was uh, a pastor friend of mine and uh, his dear wife, Brother Paul Sandlin, out in Idaho how that so many of our young people are turning away from the truth and they're following after the appeals of this world. Now, in some ways, we, are, uh, we, we see that it's in our own churches. We think about how do we keep our young people in our churches and keep them responding, keep them active. We have many young people that are in our churches that are uh, established and that they are holding to the truth. And yet, all along the way, we see a great failure, and part of that is that as long as the young people don't see the need of Christ in their own life, and I'm talking about the daily recording of life, the daily uh, responsibilities of life, they will never see their need. And I also believe that there will be a great falling away. When the Lord said, "When uh, the Son of Man returns, will He find faith upon the earth?" I think that that this many are going to be continuing on in the so this is a continuation that we see even in the book of Revelation now again we looked at Revelation chapter 3 we just read through 1 through 6 and basically it is beyond this one so brother Joe if you will go ahead and uh, let's go to the next slide and uh, in the next slide that you can see I've narrowed down the scope to where that you can see it a little bit clearer this is towards the end and in the end process, what we see are three different churches, uh, church time errors that are being represented. We have the 1500 to the 1700, 1700 to 1900, and 2000. And so the more that you begin to see this, the more that you realize that there are a lot of things that are beginning to happen. Now, first of all, the end of persecution as we know it towards the Anabaptists uh, is not necessarily at the end at, down here where you see the one red dot. There are cases where we have continued to see persecution. I remember this is that uh, many years ago as I was doing the research for a uh, landmark missionary Baptist church in Roseville, California, and I was looking at their history. i uh, come to find out that they supported a missionary to China, and during the uh, World War II, there was a lot of persecution that happened at that time we do see some persecution that goes on in this particular time. Uh, With the Bolshevik Revolution, we begin to see more persecution um, amongst the uh, Russians, uh, and so the Anabaptists had to flee in. So it's not only been the Jewish uh, application, it has also been uh, a lot of the Christian congregations that went into persecution as well. So when we begin to take a look at this time frame, we're beginning to see a change in the mentality. This was dated as 1500 to 1700, and I want to show you some things that goes on regarding to the, the book. Now, I want you to hold your place here for a moment. We're going to go back to Isaiah just for a moment, and I want to show you something that we read in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, as we know, is really a catapult for what's getting ready to happen or you might call it a catalyst, that's going to happen with the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes to this earth. And I want you to see the the contrast between Revelation chapter 3, especially in verse 1 where it says the seven spirits of the Lord. And I want you to see these seven spirits. Look at verse 2. Well, matter of fact, let's go ahead and read verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. Now, what's interesting is that we find Elsewhere, the word branch that is used a lot of times to refer to Jesus Christ. We also see the root of David, or the root of Jesse, which goes through David, which shall grow out. But notice what else it says. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And notice the seven spirits that are there. Number one, the Spirit of the Lord, and the Spirit of wisdom, and the Spirit of understanding, and the Spirit of counsel, and the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. There are the seven spirits that are referred to. So I want you to think about how important it is to note that Jesus Christ is the one that is in speaking here. Now he refers to himself in Revelation chapter 3. Notice again that the Lord refers to himself. Uh, more of the past tense versus the present, and he's speaking of the power of the Holy Spirit in this. Notice what we see. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write these things. saith he that hath the seven spirits and the seven stars. I know thy work. In other words, this is a personal relationship where he is writing to the to the church of Sardis. Now, what's interesting? During the time frame that we now have listed here, and we're talking about 1500 to 1700, there's a great transition that's beginning to occur. The persecutions that were happening in the uh, Alps, um, amongst the uh, believers in England, amongst the Germans, we begin to see the stronghold of Catholicism as it was beginning to wane. Now, understand this, is that we could go back and look at every one of those individuals, and as you take a look at the bottom, you see Saralova, you also see Luther, you see Zwingli, you see Calvin, but you also see the the ministry of Augsburg. Now, all of that is in the 15th and the 1600s. Again, I want to bring this to your attention. Uh, If I was to go back one one stage, you could actually see Wycliffe in there, who was a, a Catholic pope, But there had already been a charge to take the Word of God and bring it into the common language of the people. There was a a movement, beginning with Wycliffe, even though he was Catholic, that uh, he wanted the Word of God in their hands. I've had somebody make this statement one time. In fact, my son Joe and I were talking about this. Just because a person is of a different religion doesn't mean God hasn't used them in a mighty way. In the face of Baptists, If we are not going to do our job, don't be surprised if others don't stand up to do the job for us. So in the case of Zwingli, which you see is 1481 to 1511, we also see Calvin, which was 1509 to 1564. Uh, Again, uh, we begin to see Luther, which was in the 1500s. We can see some of the outset that occurs on that, including Henry VIII, which gave birth to what we call the Church of England. You'll notice that the Church of England started in 1531 by the branch that is there as well. The problem that we see is that there was the oppression that began to happen to the Anabaptist. We begin to see the opening or the challenge that was already given to Catholicism. We begin to see that people were tired of the, the lies, the, the, the falsehoods of Catholicism and such, and they began to move towards uh, the, the, if you will, the Protestant movements. I'll give you an example uh, of what I'm talking about. Notice it says uh, here in uh, our beginning, it says, before uh, closing the book on Thyat Church, we must remember the history before the Palestinian, uh, for which took place over Palestine in Europe. Uh, during and leading up to the time of the church of Sardis, the Anabaptists were persecuted. Now, this persecution was in no small way a long persecution. And so, the end of that persecution began to occur when you had the Gutenberg Bible that was now being printed and made more affordable for people to have in their hands. Now, before... Wycliffe came on the scene. Having the word of God in your hand would cost you about a year's wages. Think about that. Having the word of God in your hand would cost the common individual about a year's wages. Uh, Again, I didn't try to figure that out, but I just want you to understand that. With the Gutenberg Press, because of the movable type that he was able to do and, and really make it a quicker print, the Gutenberg Press enabled a person for months' wages to be able to purchase a Bible. Now again, that, there was a lot of sacrifice with that, that went into that. So for someone to have a Geneva Bible, for someone to have a Luther, Lutheran Bible, for someone to have something that was written during that time frame was a pretty big mark. And even when the King James came in, there was so, those that tried to suppress it in such a way that it would not be made available to the masses. Uh, One of the things that I've had a lot of people say to me is that, well, you know, uh, are you saying that the King James Bible is the only Bible that, that Christians should use? Let me say this very carefully. It is a Bible that is extant in its translation. We cannot say that the English is the perfect translation, but it's extant. And so when I take a look at the King James Bible, it is written from the Texas Receptus and the Meserite text of the Jews, and it has been translated, and it matches all the Bibles that were using the same materials. A lot of people don't understand that is because they turn around and they say, well, uh, they didn't accept the, te- the Alexandrian text. That ought to tell us something. If I'm not accepting the Alexandrian text or the Westcott and Horde or the Nessels or anything of that nature then that tells me that the people understood its corruption. It was there, but it was reviewed as corrupt. They looked at the Byzantine text, and they held on to that, and they preached the Word of God from the Byzantine text. Don't let it sound like that there wasn't ample copies of the text of the There was 5,255 copies of the original Greek text in which people began to push in and to translate the Bible. So when you take a look at the bishops, when you take a look at the Matthews, when you take a look at the Coverdale, when you look at the Tyndale, and you could go on and on and on, leading up to the King James Bible, you could take each one of those Bibles and read them carefully. I actually have, like I said, a Henry, a Tyndale, and a Geneva up in my library, along with a King James. The writing is a little bit challenging because they didn't use the same exact lettering that we use today. One of the things that they utilized was like the letter F was used in the place of S. In fact, Germans for the longest time used a double S or an FS. Later on, they came up with their own symbol for representing the double S sound. So the reality is is that our grammar has made a few changes. The last change that was made to the King James Bible, I think, was 1644, which is the Bible we actually have in front of us, and that incorporated all the modern writings that we know today or the modern lettering that is there. Now, let's continue on. The the Anabaptists rejected anything that was false, so they never accepted Catholicism, They never accepted Lutheranism. They never accepted Calvinism. They never accepted the Church of England, and this led to greater persecution. The reality is is that when we begin to see the preaching of the Word of God, and as the Bible was made open for people to read for themselves, they begin to see the error of wrong and the truth of God. Now, I'll give you an example. Martin Luther... And there's a place that is called the Spanish Steps. I visited the Spanish Steps many years ago. And Martin Luther, in, in penance, and what they would require to do is they would have to call up these marble steps with their jagged, sharp edges. And they would call, them up, call up on those steps, and they would pray over a prayer bead, and then they would call up another step, pray over a prayer on their prayer bead, and they would continue up these steps. Suddenly, Martin Luther jumped up. He had been he had been thinking about what he had read from the Book of Romans, and when he stood up, he screamed out, "A change over this man named Martin Luther! Don't take that uh, as lightly." Martin Luther did something that a lot of people don't give him credit for, and that is that he wrote the, the truths as he understood them from the, the, the pure study of the Word of God. Matter of fact, if you ever go to an Amish village and you want to buy a, a German Bible, you will get the Martin Luther Bible. That's how much that they revere. In fact, the, the a lot of people don't know this, but the Amish are, will not even allow their children to speak English until they're past uh, you know, weaning time, or, you know, about five or six years of age, maybe even a little bit later than that. But the reality is, is that those children speak German, and they speak old German. I remember this, is that I speak enough German to get into real uh, trouble, and uh, we had this homage family that came in, they brought their two little children in, and uh, they said, "Uh, these are our children, and I began to speak to them, and they said, oh, they only speak German. So I bent down to them, I said, Vovodensee, where do you live? And uh, they, they looked at me kind of strange, and it's because of the way that it was pronounced in the old German, Vavonenzi. Not Vovonensee, but Vavonenzi. And so because of that, the, the Amish uh, would not understand this as well. Well, needless to say, the, the truth is, you can actually still buy the original materials. The greatest attack of all is the English Bible. And that's why we see, our if you go into a Christian bookstore today, you will see just one, one, one. how I say that. In other words, there'll be the NIV, but I try to tell people that there's so many missing verses in the NIV. The ESV, which is the most common one that's used nowadays because it's more modern vernacular. The RSV and, and you know so many of the other translations that are there. Again, I have an older Bible that's upstairs, which has eight translations. One of those translations is the King James, and all the others that are written in that book are not the same. But now here is the reason why we have modern text. How many of you have ever heard that they just want the pure word of God? How many of you have ever heard that? Well, the reality is that's not the, the case at all. It's profit margin. The only Bible that is open to the public, that has not got a copyright on it, is the King James Bible. You can take the King James Bible, and because there's no copyright on it, it is free to read, free to use, free to publish, free to record. All the others, you have to pay a royalty. And and here's the reason I know about this. Uh, When I was doing my research for my book, I went back in and I referred back to the King James Bible. And whenever I would use the Scripture... They would ask me this question, and I'm speaking to the publisher. They said, "Which Bible are you using?" I said, "I use the King James Only." They said, "Okay, that's fine," because had I used any other translation, older or newer, I would have had to pay a royalty to the owners of the copyright. How many of you knew that? So you can't even you can't even quote the NIV technically without having a copyright upon it. Just something to think about. So the desire was that the Word of God would have its place. I also made mention of Luther. Let's go down to number two under point B. We must remember that Luther had taken the name of Augustine and was permitted to read confiscated Bibles. I love that for the very fact that uh, Luther, because he was now a monk, was now given privy to read the confiscated Bibles of the Anabaptists. And many of those is what he began to read. When Luther was saved, he was moved towards Anabaptist beliefs, but never fully separated from the Catholic Church. I have a Lutheran psaltery that's upstairs, and literally in that psaltery, it makes mention of continued persecution of the Anabaptist. On the other hand, I want you to think about this, so while they never separated themselves completely from Catholicism, they embraced a lot of the things that were written in the Bible. For instance, Luther married a nun. And in order to uh, throw off the shackles, of what we now know of is uh, Catholicism. He would marry a woman who was also a nun, and uh, I can imagine how awkward that must have been, but he also began to make a strong influence over the entire country of Germany. When I went to Germany years later, you still had the Catholic presence. You had the Lutheran presence, and there was a small contingency of the Anabaptists. Likewise, we find this in England as well. I don't know how many of you know this. But in England, because Henry VIII was now throwing off the shackles of Roman Catholicism, and basically he wanted permission to have a divorce so that he could marry another woman, but the Pope in Rome refused to give him divorce rights. So Luther made up his mind, fine. I will create my own church. That is the beginning of the Church of England. And to this day, the monarchy sits over top of the Church of England. How many of you knew that? So anytime you see Anglican, Episcopalian, if you ever see the Church of England, all of those are the same with different names. Anglican became a part of America. Episcopalian took on the brighter name that was there. They gave birth, and as we can see up here, you can see the Methodists gave birth to them and others that began to come into place. And so that wasn't until later on in the 1700s, or the early 1700s. The reality is, is that there was a great challenge to the Word of God. The ones that were persecuted was anyone that did not align with the Church of England. When I lived in England, one of the places I went to was just outside of London, is a place called Smithfield. When Bloody Mary was set on the throne after her father had passed away and her brother had passed away, Mary sat upon the throne, and as she sat upon the throne, she tried to restore all England back to Catholicism. So much so that she would be willing to behead and persecute those that claimed to be Protestant, including that number were Anabaptist, And so the blood of martyrdom was continuing on. And so there was a a level of compromise. Reality is is that people did not want to give up on their beliefs, but they wanted to also be able to survive. And none of us would probably fault them if we were in the same condition. It was during this time that the persecutions began to rise, so much so, that finally, when James came on the scene, many years later, there was a desire by those that called themselves the separatists that says, we want to return to England. And let me just stop there for a moment. Or return from England over to a place where we can worship freely. I put in an article uh, this morning into our local paper, or you know, something that I try to write a little uh, something. And I, and I thought about this for a moment. I pale in comparison to the great writings of others. I look at what people had, and I mean, think about this. To read Charles Spurgeon, you need almost a dictionary beside you. So that, and I'm not talking about modern American dictionaries. I'm talking about a good old-fashioned dictionary that comes from England, the Oxford. And the reality is, is that when I see a word... That I do not understand, I will go and I will try to figure it out. But the reality is, Brother Spurgeon had a vast knowledge, and and I begin to, to shun, you know, or, or shirk, you know, you know my responsibilities of writing because I don't want people to criticize me how ignorant I sound. I still struggle with punctuation. But the reality is, is that what brought it to attention was I love black and white TV uh, programs. And I was watching black and white TV, and one day as I was watching black and white TV, uh, I, I saw a uh, preacher that you know, came upon the scene, and his speaking was eloquent. Uh, his message was, was very firm, and I thought, if they can in Hollywood portray men with the message so clearly, I, I shun to think where I, I stand. But then there's other men that, that preach the Word of God. Uh, we might say John MacArthur, uh, David Jeremiah, other men who seemingly have a vast knowledge when it comes to the Word of God. And, and I am amazed at their tenacity, their ability to handle the Word of God in such a right way. And it puts me to shame that I don't have enough of that of myself. Well, the reality is, God has called us for such a time as this. And if you think about it, even our Bible is written very simplistically. When someone tells me they don't understand the King James Bible, what they're saying is, I'm ignorant of English. It it is surprising to me how many people fail to embrace our English language. But for that matter, Uh, There's one comedian uh, where he he speaks about emojis and how that nowadays when an emoji comes into place, it's because they don't want you to really understand what they're saying in English. Something as simple as happy birthday. Something as saying happy anniversary. Congratulations. All of these words are not spelled out, but instead we look for other emojis to come into place. Sad, isn't it? But the reality is God allowed his word to stand. Now one of the things that we see up here of course as we begin to go into the 1600s and I want you to see this. So entering into the 1600s this was a time of great turmoil. This was a great turmoil. But do you realize it was at this time and you know, we can go back to 1500s the Spanish the Spanish were going to the South carrying Catholicism high on a banner. And everywhere that the Catholics went, they enslaved the people, And including today. There's still a great enslavement. But in North America around 1607, if you recall, right at the beginning of the 1600s, came the English, and those that came to North America, for the most part, wanted spiritual freedom. I I use the example of, of course, the separatists, who we know as the pilgrims that came to America. But at the same time, we also have the Quakers that came to America. Remember William Penn? He came into place. And there was other areas. It wasn't until the early 1700s that we began to see the Anabaptist influence, and they came from Wales. So as we look at that, I want us to understand there was a responsibility to preach the word of God and to not stop. And so, at the very bottom, I put this in point D: the teachings, uh, the teachings not accepted were the rightful place of the Anabaptist, the accessibility of the Bible to all, the total disregard of the Catholic Church, and a total disregard of Catholic teachings. All right, so that's where we're at. Now, let's the Bibles. Let's go down to Revelation, chapter three. And we're going to go down to verse 14. Now, as I told you, we're going to look at Philadelphia, but I want to show this to, you know, I was really inspired after reading Philadelphia Church church to make comment on that at the next message. But I'd like for us to read verse 14 down to the end of the chapter as we take a look at Laodicea. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, We saying: saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art, art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew to thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes that thy said, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, so be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and as many hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also am overcame and sit down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. When we take a look at the Laodicean, again, this was the last of the, the circular pattern of the churches that uh, began with Ephesus, goes all the way around the horn, and ends up with uh, the Laodicean people. What is interesting is you take a look at Laodicea, it literally means the city of the people. Laos means, in the Greek, it means people or congregation or group. So when you think about this, when the Lord is writing to the church at Laodicea, he says, I know you. And the sad part is, and I even heard, of, uh, heard my son, he was lamenting this to me the other day. He said, Dad, I heard a preacher say, It doesn't matter if we go out or not. God's going to save whoever he's going to save. There is an element of truth, but there's a greater element of falsehood in that. Nowhere do we ever see that we can do or not do things because we don't feel like it. I know that when I go out into the community, there's going to be very few people that are going to hear the truth of God's word. I am dependent as everyone that is here upon the working of the Holy Spirit to go before me, in other words, to be able to understand what God wants. But here's the thing I want you to see. Look at verse 14 again. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these says say the amen. Now get this, the amen. This is true. The faithful and true witness, he is the author and the finisher of our faith, and the beginning of the creation of God. Do you realize that from the beginning, with Adam's failure and the the immersion of us all in sin, the Lord not only understood what man would do, but he observed what man would do. Let's take a Bible and let's go back to Genesis. And let's go to chapter, well, we can go to chapter 4, but I think it would do us just to go to chapter 6 for time's sake. In Genesis chapter (coughs) 6, excuse me, let's begin in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 6. And it said, It came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, And daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, I want you to get this for a moment. First of all, the the statement is, they took wives of what they chose. It it is interesting that uh, Brother Paul and uh, his dear wife, they wrote that, the grief is, I will marry a woman after my desires. Now understand this, and and I want to be very careful when I say this. It should be the desire of every young man to find a woman that loves the Lord God. That should be the greatest desire of all. And we might measure, but I can tell you right now that it breaks my heart how many young women who said that they were believers in Christ were led astray And it leaves the man unconfident in himself. I I, I did everything that I thought was right. I looked for a Christian woman. I looked for a woman who said that she trusted the Lord. I I looked for a woman that said that she cared. And you know, the reality is is that now they're facing an uncertain circumstance in their lives. And that's difficult. Uh, I want you to know that I watch my own children as they face this challenge in their lives very difficult indeed. But even more so, one of the things I like for people to understand is that we can't just listen to what's being said. We have to observe what's being said. Look what else it says in Genesis chapter 6. Go down to verse 3. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive. In other words, I will not be patient I will not continue on. I will not ignore, you know, and God never ignores our sins, but I will not be ignorant towards them. I am not going to allow their sins to continue. I will judge them. With man for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be numbered 120 years. And there were giants in the land. A lot of people want to say this represents angels. It does not represent angels. It means very tall men. Very large men, maybe even the giant dinosaurs, we don't know. But the giants were mighty men that could stand, notice, in those days. And after that, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, in other words, those that were of Adam's lineage, following after Cain's lineage, the children to them and the same became mighty men that were all the men of renown and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually man that's sad but let me point this out to you and let's go back over here to Laodicea and I take a look at Laodicea this is what is referred to as the beginning with God This is the evil of man. And may I point this out to you? The hallmark of what we see in Revelation chapter 3 is the reality that I know thy works and thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Now that's where we're going to end up today. We're going to finish up at this point, and then the Lord's willing we're going to pick up on Laodicea next week. So uh, we're going to go ahead and conclude our services at this point. Let's bow our heads for a closing prayer, and then we'll get started again. Father, thank you again for your mercies. Now, Lord, we pray for thy guidance, and thy care, and thy truth. In Christ we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.